This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. We are in Psalm 119. We're going to look at verses 65 to 80 today. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you uh, under the seat in the chair in front of you. You can grab that. And we're sort of halfway through this study. Maybe if you've been doing, we've been going through a daily study uh, together of, um, I don't know where I did my book. I had one in my booklet. Maybe I left it down there. Oh, no, here it is. Um, my, uh, we have this transform booklet. They're out on the table if you'd like one. It's just a daily study through Psalm 119 that we're doing together. Uh, self-paced individually as a church uh, and maybe you're about halfway done with it uh, if you have uh, if you've been doing it, it kind of regularly maybe you're about halfway we got a couple more weeks on Sunday morning to talk about this uh, this psalm and we're kind of in the middle of the psalm today in the passage that I want to look at so what we've seen so far if we've looked at the whole psalm which is 176 verses and we've seen that it really emphasizes a delight in God's word that word comes up frequently a delight in God's word a desire for God's word that all springs from a dependence on God's word. And then last week, last week we saw how that it's not just enough to know God's word externally, but we walk God's path by internalizing God's word. That is the word of God applied to our hearts internally that helps us know him and walk with him. And today I want to talk about how does God's word play out in our times of suffering. So let's read, I'm going to read, two, we're going to do two stanzas today. Uh, most of my time will be in the first stand I'll only refer to the second stanza at the end, but uh, listen to verses 65 through 80. This is God's holy word. You've dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I've hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me, that they may know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes, that I may not be put to shame. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this text, and I pray particularly for those in the room who are in times of difficulty, walking through affliction today, confused, hurting, discouraged, some even hopeless and despairing. I pray that we all might learn from your word today, because we will all be there at some point, but I pray particularly for those suffering today, that your word might shine to them, that you might rekindle their hope in you 
that you might uh, that you might refresh their faith in Jesus, that you might come near them today, we pray. Open your word to us, show us the glory of your son. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. One of the most damaging doctrines found in the popular church today is the doctrine of what is sometimes called the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel teaches that if, and there's various, uh, there's various strains of it, and there's a spectrum of it for sure, um, but it teaches that if we have enough faith in God and if we claim his word, we can have the fullness of God's blessings in this life. We are guaranteed, because Christ died, he bore our diseases, we are guaranteed the teaching says, physical healing in this life. We are guaranteed because God gives abundant life, financial prosperity and great relationships and on and on. I say it's damaging, Uh, I say it's damaging because when folks in that world who believe those things encounter suffering, and their prayers are not answered swiftly, they find themselves in a terrible place. And I've talked to folks, I've prayed with folks, counseled folks from this kind of a background. They're left believing that they are the problem. Because if God guarantees abundance and prosperity, then the problem must be with them. They don't have enough faith, perhaps. Uh, They have given in to doubt and unbelief. Maybe they didn't pray enough, or maybe they are too sinful, or maybe they have some hidden, unconfessed sins. Welcome to the world. Everyone in the room has hidden and unconfessed sins. If God has provided physical abundance in this life, I just need to believe it and to receive it. And then when suffering comes and I'm not freed, I end up looking inward. And the grief of it all is that in the midst of suffering, there is this compounded suffering that weighs the person down, the person who feels guilty because of their lack of faith and trust in God. Now, I want to make clear that the scripture teaches that God does heal. God does heal miraculously, I believe, at times. The scripture teaches this. The scripture teaches that God does bless us. The scripture teaches that God will provide for our needs. But the scripture also teaches, in the words of Jesus, in this world, you will have tribulation. The scripture also teaches that there is suffering. The the, the people of scripture are not protected from suffering. Read your Bible. Most of all, Jesus Christ, who suffers and endures, who is acquainted with grief. Now, there are no easy answers when we talk about suffering. But this psalm, unlike the prosperity gospel, this psalm gives us a place to stand in the middle of the mystery of suffering. In his book that we have out at the Resource Center uh, called Bible Delight, Christopher Ash calls this section that we just read the adversity gospel. The opposite of the prosperity gospel, the adversity gospel. These two stanzas that we have just read are written around the theme of God's goodness. 
Now, it's more apparent, uh, if we could read the Hebrew, it would be more apparent uh, that each, that five, in the first stanza, five of the eight verses start with the word good or a form of the word good. When it's translated, that that's, can be a little bit clunky in English, but Hal Jones in his commentary on the psalm sort of translates it a little bit more uh, wooden and clunky and hard to read, but more reflective of the text. He says, verse 65 says, we have, you have dealt well with your servant. That's certainly a good translation, but literally it's more good you have done with your servant. Verse 66, good judgment and knowledge teach me. Verse 68, good you are and good you do. Verse 71, good it is for me that I was afflicted. Verse 72, more good to me is the law of your mouth. Good, good, good. So it is, a, it is a section of scripture that combines two things that we have a lot of trouble holding together. A mysterious tension. On the one hand, God is good, and on the other hand, life is bad. On the one hand, God is good. On the other hand, the psalmist is suffering. So this, this psalm combines verse 69, the insolent smear me with lies, and verse 68, you are good and you do good. Verse 75, in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Read that again, verse 75, in faithfulness you, God. In faithfulness God has afflicted me, verse 65. You have dealt well with your servant. How do you hold those together? You have afflicted me, you have dealt well with your servant. You are good and you do good. Living by faith is living with the belief not that I can have what I say and that I can write my own ticket with God. Living by faith is living with the belief that God is good even when life is bad because God will take the bad that happens to me and he will use it for my ultimate good and his glory. That is, the, that is the goodness of God that he takes in a fallen, sinful world. He can even take the free choices that others make to harm us, as is the case in this psalm, and he can turn those for our good. That is the mystery of the sovereignty of God producing goodness in our life through the difficulties we face. Now, what I want to do in this psalm is I'm not, normally I go verse by verse, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at four stages of what's happening in the psalmist's life here. And the reason it's not going to be exactly verse by verse in order is because this is poetry and it's a structured poetry where each little, um, word of the first verse starts with the first letter. So you, you can see in verse 65, uh, we have teth there, the Hebrew letter. And then in verse 73, we have that stanzas under the Hebrew letter yod. And so each, each section, each line begins with that letter and he began with that letter in Hebrew. So they're not only working with poetry instead of prose, instead of narrative. It's not only poetry instead of narrative, it's also a very structured poetry. So what I'm going to do is pull verses, um, not out of context at all, but a little bit out of order to show you the stages of what he's talking about here. The first stage is that uh, we could call the simply astray. He goes astray. Look at verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Now we don't know how he went astray. We don't know what he did. We only know that he wandered off the path, that he wandered away from God, that he wandered away from God's word. 
heard. And we can all relate to that. I love it that that's not really clearly specifically defined because if it was, we would say, well, I'm not straying in that way and we would uh, exempt ourselves from applying the passage. But he just said, I went astray. And we can all relate to that if we're honest, can't we? We all know what it's like to go astray. We sing regularly. We sing the historic hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing in our worship gatherings. Those words are so real. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I am constrained to be. Let your goodness like a fetter. Now, this psalm's about, this section, this stanza is about goodness. Let your goodness like a fetter. A fetter is a chain, usually a chain with, that's connected at the ankle. Uh, a manacle that's called sometimes. So let your chain around my ankle bind my wandering heart to thee. Let your goodness attach me so that I cannot walk away from you. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel that. I feel the tug pulling me in a different direction. I, pull the, I feel the tug pulling me off your pathway. There's no one here who doesn't know what that is about. And, and this psalm, this section, this stanza of this psalm teaches us that in God's love, in God's love, he will come after us and draw us back to himself, that he will pull us back towards himself, pull us back to the path from our wandering. And at times, he will use affliction to do that. You may be here today and you're wandering. Maybe you're just sort of checking church out and you've wandered for a long time. I've met people that have come into our church that have said, hey, I've been wandering. I've been away for a year. We've got members of our church that, that say, I've been away. I was away from the Lord for decades and came back to the Lord here. Though the hound of heaven will pursue you. And if you're his, you're a believer, maybe you have wandered. And I just want to say, welcome back. There's a glorious good news for you that the Bible shows this picture to the wanderer. It shows God running to you. If you wander and return home, what you will find is not a God who is scolding you with arms folded saying, it's about time. Now you earn your way back into my good graces. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that that God will run to you and embrace you. And before the story of the prodigal son, before you can even get out your confession, he will be having a celebration all around you. So if you have strayed, the good news of God is that he's here to welcome you and we are here to welcome you as well. There are others of us in the room who, who, are, who maybe haven't been away. You've been present, but you're drifting inwardly and no one knows what's really going on in your heart or what you're really doing that others may not know and you are drifting and I believe the Lord today wants to welcome you as well. But he also wants to bring a warning that the wandering path uh, that it leads to hurt and sorrow and that God loves you and will do whatever it takes to bring you back to himself. Well, the psalmist went astray. He went astray and then stage two, he was afflicted. Again, verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray. Now, let me be very clear here. All affliction and all suffering, probably we could say most affliction and most suffering in the Christian life is not because we've strayed. 
Okay, that's the context here. So I'm not saying that if you are suffering today, that was my whole introduction, is to undermine that view. That if you're suffering today, 100% it's because of your sin. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, that we, we stray for all, I mean, I'm sorry, we are afflicted for all kinds of reasons. And the classic biblical example of this is Job, who is the most righteous man on the earth. He has not strayed, and yet he suffers greater than anyone. He loses all of his possessions. Uh, he loses all of his animals. Worst of all, he loses his own children. And he loses everything. And the point is that all suffering is not rooted in something we have done. That's the story of Job. However, it can be. And the point is here is that he went astray and then he is afflicted. Now, an affliction is something that causes pain or suffering. And so there are all kinds of affliction. Here's the reality. Whether it is directly tied to something we have done or whether it is the mystery, the job, the mystery of you're just living your life and all of a sudden this comes out of nowhere. There's no explanation for it. That's the majority situation, I believe. So if that kind of stuff, the, 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 the purpose of all affliction is the same, that God wants to bring us to himself, to bring us to know him better, to rely upon him, to experience him, even if we are on the path and afflicted and not wandering. So we can experience all kinds of afflictions that God wants to meet us in. God wants to speak his word to us in. We can experience financial difficulties. We can experience difficulties at work, physical difficulties like injury, or illness, or especially chronic illness, chronic undiagnosed illnesses that go on and on and on. We can experience relational affliction. Our marriage is in a bad place. Maybe our marriage has ended in divorce and we have experienced relational suffering, or our relationship with our parents is strained, or our relationship with our children is damaged. Or maybe someone sins against you. Could be a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, could be a family member. Someone has cheated you. Someone has taken advantage of you. We're gonna see in this Psalm, the context here, someone has slandered you. Maybe someone has just mysteriously ended a relationship with you and you have no understanding or explanation why. There are millions of ways that relationships can bring suffering and feel like an affliction. And the closer they are to you, the harder they hurt. Affliction can be grief when we mourn the loss of someone we love who has died. Affliction can be disappointment of still waiting for an unfulfilled longing, still hoping to be married one day, still hoping to have children one day, still hoping to find meaningful work one day where you can be paid for what you feel you are gifted for and maybe trained for. We wrestle with pain from our past, sexual abuse, physical abuse, verbal abuse. We experience the affliction of depression, anxiety, loneliness. We all know some sort of affliction and we will know affliction this side of heaven. It does not go away this side of heaven. 
You know, I'm often in my life surprised when affliction shows up unannounced, which shows that there's a latent prosperity theology in all of our hearts because I am shocked when affliction comes my way, when the reality is, given the fallen world, I should be shocked when I'm not in the midst of affliction. I should be shocked like, wow, it's going great. This is, you know, you know what I'm saying? We live in a fallen world and we, we, we just don't appreciate the depth of the fall and, and, and what happened from our first parents' rebellion against God and how bad it got, how quickly. Their kids didn't just argue about the remote. One of them murdered the other one, okay? So it goes bad fast in the human race. And so there should be a sense where we are surprised that we got a reprieve from suffering in our lives. Now what's the psalmist affliction? Verse 67, so he astray, then stage two is affliction. I was afflicted before I went astray. Now again, it doesn't really say what his previous affliction was. Um, we know what his current affliction is. His current affliction is that he's being slandered. He's being lied about. He's being, look at verse 69. The insolent smear me with lies. Insolent is someone who is arrogant and who arrogantly lacks respect. Someone who is rude and rebellious. So the rude and rebellious are lying about me. Verse 78. Let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. So they're telling lies about him. So that is an affliction. We just don't know when he went astray if that was the affliction. It could be that he went astray, that he was afflicted, that something bad happened to him, and now they're lying about him. It could be that, or it could be that all along, the entire affliction in the past and in the present has been people opposing him and slandering him. We just don't know, and again, I'm grateful that there is some ambiguity because we can all apply this. You don't have to be smeared by liars today. This isn't just a text. This relates to everyone who's smeared by liars. So we're gonna have a ministry time. If you're smeared by liars, raise your hand. Let's pray. It doesn't have to be that narrow. Maybe you are being smeared by liars. There may be someone slandering you right now. But if that's not the case, the affliction, the truth of what happens with affliction is still uh, for you, that God wants to work in our afflictions. He's reporting, the psalmist is reporting that his affliction has been used by God to bring something good into his life. Verse 65, you have dealt with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. So God is good has God dealt with him. What went well? How has God dealt well with him? Well, that's kind of the third stage uh, where we see he's been affected. He has been changed. So he went astray, he was afflicted, he's been affected now, or he's been changed. Look at verse 67. Again, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Something's changed. Here's the effect on his life. Now he keeps the word. This doesn't mean he lives with perfect obedience. He's saying that you changed my direction. So I was walking this way, and then I went astray over this way, and I was afflicted, 
and now I keep your word. I'm walking with you again. That's what he's saying. I'm back on the pathway. You have changed me. Affliction came. You called me to yourself and I leaned on you. I clung to you. I relied on you. In my difficulty, I turned to your word. Affliction comes into our lives and it has a purifying effect because it reveals who we really are and what we really value. And for him, it brought him back to God's word. Affliction has that effect. It will determine where we are, who we are. Some people, some believers run to God in their affliction and demonstrate what their core is. Some people wander never to come back demonstrating what their core is. The old saying is that the same sun that melts wax hardens clay. The same heat experienced by two people, one, they soften their heart to the Lord. The other, they harden their heart and charge God, not momentarily or for a season, but permanently. The same sun that melts wax hardens clay. Suffering leads him to turn to God, not away from God. And even if you aren't straying from God, but you're suffering today, it will have this effect. It will call you to run to God. Uh, It can cause us, it can tempt us to run away or it can tempt us to run harder towards him. And it drives the psalmist in this case to God's word. In his affliction, he turns to God, and this is what he concludes, verse 68. You are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. He goes on to say um, in verse 71, it is good for me that I was afflicted that I may learn your statutes. Many healthy, good things can come from suffering. But since this psalm is about the word of God, that's where he goes. And he says, what happened to me in my suffering was verse 71, I, I came to learn, uh, uh, learn your statutes. It's good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. I now understand you in a way I did not understand you before. The word of God resonates in my soul in a way that it didn't when I was just casually reading it on the beach on vacation. Now I've had an encounter with you through affliction, through suffering. I've pressed into your word. You are good. You do good. It was good that I was afflicted because now I know you in a way that I would not have known you before. God reveals himself to us in suffering in a unique kind of way. There are some things that we just cannot learn in a classroom. We cannot learn from reading somebody's book. We cannot learn from a sermon. I hope you will listen, but there are some things that you will never learn from coming here and hearing sermons. You only learn it as you apply the truth of God's word in your suffering. There are certain things that are learned as we open God's word There are certain unique things that we learn and experience when we open God's word in a hospital bed. There are certain things that we experience that we learn from God with the Bible open at the kitchen table at 3 a.m. in the middle of a sleepless night, racked with worry and anxiety. There are certain things in the quiet of that moment that you learn only through Suffering. There are certain things that you only learn over coffee as a friend shares a scripture with you and you are in the midst of being absolutely crushed 
and devastated. Certain things when the scriptures applied at the coffee table, at the council, in the counseling room, wherever it is that you hear God's word in the midst and you grip God's word in the midst of your suffering. God's word comes alive in suffering so that we can know God and experience him more intimately. This is the example of Job. At the end of Job, after 42 chapters, I think it is, at the end of Job's life, after he has suffered, after he's gotten bad counsel from his friends who say, you must have done something bad or you wouldn't have suffered like this. And then God comes and addresses him, you know, basically says, where were you when I created the universe? Uh, Okay, I think I feel pretty small right now. And Job (laughs) humbles himself. And after it all, God says, I had heard of you with my, I mean, I'm sorry, Job says, I had heard of you, God, with my ears, but now I've seen you with my eyes. Meaning I knew about you in essence, but now I know you in a depth that I never knew you before. That's the point of the story, is that through suffering, he would know his God. See, the psalmist is not just saying that experience is the best teacher. That's not what I'm saying here. He's saying that God reveals himself through the scripture powerfully, even uniquely through our suffering. He's not just saying experience is the best teacher. He's saying that God reveals himself through his written word to us when we are hurting and confused and angry at God and questioning. The psalmist has changed. I was Straying, he says, but now, verse 72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Okay, I was straying, that's where I was. Your word was not too important to me. It was becoming a memory to me. But now, the wealth of your word, I'll take it over the wealth of this world. Now what I've learned, now through affliction and leaning on you, now something has happened and I've encountered you through your word and my greatest wealth is knowing you. Verse 72, greater than gold and silver pieces. Again, many of us want verse 72. The law of your mouth is better to me than gold and silver. We want that experience of God's word, but we don't want to be stripped of control in our lives so that we ever get there we'd rather just go to the conference can't isn't there a seminar I can take like if okay I heard the testimony this morning okay if I just go to small group a couple times can I get it then how about if I come four Sundays in a row then do I have it how about if I go to that whole little book you guys are doing if I do like every day of this then do I get it (laughs) there are certain things that we only get through the affliction that comes into our lives. Can I just, can I watch a YouTube video? I mean, come on. Can't get that book out at the resource center that'll just answer it all. There's some good books on suffering and I value books on suffering. And there are guides to suffering that point us to the scripture and to God, but there is no replacement or substitute for suffering. He delights in the word because he got desperate for God and God met him. Some people say, well, Christians, you know, God's boring. The Bible's boring. I get that. There's periods in my life where I feel that. I feel the Bible's boring and I feel distant from God. I I get that. But as a lifestyle, there are some Christians saying, God, you know, the Bible's just boring. It may be because you're not desperate enough yet. 
There's a lot of people distancing themselves from God, judging God, critiquing God, throwing stones at God's word and doing it from the position of privilege, blessing, and relative comfort. But you, they have their health, they have their safety, they have their freedom. But you take away health, safety, and freedom And sometimes it takes that kind of profound affliction to see that God lovingly, graciously, kindly meets us in his word. Christopher Ashe, in the book I referred to earlier that we have the resource center, he writes on this section, he gives affliction as his good gift to his people to draw us into and keep us in the word. He shows his goodness by allowing his servant to be afflicted by those who care nothing for his word so that his servant will learn to keep and treasure his word. It is not that we have to get through the affliction and then we will get the good gift later. The affliction itself is paradoxically the good gift of God. This is a process at the heart of the Christian life and one we neglect or despise to our own peril. Listen, my, my nature is to despise yours too, to despise all suffering. I hate all suffering. Get thee behind me, Satan. I don't want any suffering at all. And I'm not saying we're to be nuts like crazy. Bring on the suffering. I love it. The Bible never teaches that. The Bible never teaches some kind of pleasure in suffering. I just, hate, I just love it when life is going bad. I hate good days. There's no, there's, that's not in the Bible. But there must be an openness that I want the Lord so much that, Lord, whatever it takes to refine me so that I know you, what I want to get at is knowing you. That's the greatest good. Experiencing you, intimacy with you, walking with you. That's the greatest good. So get me there so that, I can, so that I can know you, Lord, whatever it takes. I don't want to waste my suffering. I don't want to miss out on my suffering. I don't want to sit here and just curse my suffering. I want to run to God and encounter him through his word in my suffering. That's what the psalmist has done. So he has gone astray. He has been afflicted. He has been affected by God's word now drawing to him. The last stage in this is in the second stanza that we read, and and that is that he is a stage of encouragement. He is now encouraging others. There's a beautiful picture here of his suffering serving others. And this goes with our testimony we heard this morning as well, that our experiences, our vulnerability, our our challenges, and our joys in life are to be shared with others. We walk in community. His suffering is not only for himself, he says. Suffering is personal, but we live our lives before others, we live our lives with others, and we are to suffer for the benefit of others. Verse 74, those who fear you, that is other believers, those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. Now, those who oppose God will rejoice that I'm suffering, but those who love God will see me and they will rejoice because I've hoped in your word. My experience is going to actually help someone else, is what he says. In his suffering, he's trusted the Lord and has an effect of encouraging those looking on. He's not encouraged, again, by their suffering, but he's he's encouraged that God is bigger than their suffering. And then in their midst of suffering, God has been real to him and big to him, and his word is alive And that, if you've ever experienced someone like that who in their suffering is leaning on God and is living by 
God's word in the midst, trusting in God's word, relying on God's word. If you've ever experienced that, there is a joy in seeing someone rely on the Lord. Have you ever been around someone like that? That in the midst of their suffering, they are going to God and they are pouring out their lives for, for God and for others. He says, those who know you, they will see me hoping in your word. And they're gonna be strengthened by that. I was thinking about that. I've known a number of people like that. There's people in this church like that, for sure, that you just look at them, they chronically suffer. And you just say, God, you are so good. I see you in that person. I see you in that person. That, I grew up. I've shared some a little bit in sermons over the years about my mom, and, and I grew up, this was my mom. She, was, she had every reason to complain and to grumble and to find another pathway as a believer. She was chronically ill and died young, um, relatively young, from a lung, she had a lung disease. So she, she died young because of that. Uh, she had a troubled uh, troubled, she had trouble um, challenges in her marriage. She had depressive symptoms in her life. And yet she poured herself out, laying down her life for others, always others centered. I was just thinking about towards the end of her life. Man, she was like in a, she was like in a, walking out her faith in a white suburban uh, Frisco kind of an area, mega church. And she was involved for sure. But she just, like when we all left, she just left all that and, and became a member of a small African-American church that she drove 45 minutes to an hour to every Sunday to be a part of that community. And this is my mom. She, if she was alive now, she'd be in her 80s. So she wasn't a part of like a woke generation. This was, she wasn't like a millennial that's like, hey, I love everybody. I mean, she grew up in racist Texas. You know, that was her, that's how she grew up. And she just, at a point in her life, just suffering, struggling, just felt called of God. There's nothing wrong, by the way, with white suburban megachurch. I'm not just bashing them. I'm giving you a context here. She gave all that up. I just thought somebody's going to think I'm saying I don't have an agenda here. I'm just saying she, she went to a place that was unfamiliar to her, got out of what would be perhaps more comfortable to her and laid down her life, served in their children's ministry, loved people in that church. I know people in that church to this day that talk of her and remember her serving in that church. So in the midst of her suffering, she went to God's word and she said, how can I be poured out? And for her, that meant many things. But one thing it meant was extending myself outside of where I'm familiar to love and to learn and to care and to serve for someone who might be different than I am. That kind of a humility. See, I see that and I rejoice, man. I'm telling the story here today. If the story was different, she complained, she grumbled, she left the Lord. There's no testimony to rejoice over this morning. 
He says, those who fear the Lord will see me and rejoice. Look at verse 79. Let those who fear you turn to me that they may know your testimonies. He's saying the psalmist was gonna demonstrate the power of the word with his life, but he also says, let them turn to me, let other believers come to me that they may know your testimonies. He is going to demonstrate the power of God's word and uh, presumably he's going to communicate the power of God's word. People that have suffered and been sustained by grace come to know God through his word at a deep level. And when you are in the presence of those kind of saints, and they are in our church, when you are in the presence of that kind of person, it's wise just to shut up and listen and watch and learn. To ask questions and to posture yourself I want to posture myself because I'm not in this category. Um, posture myself before those who are seasoned sufferers relying on God's word because that's where the wealth is. That's where the riches are. I think we have it backward in the Christian church. I mean, all the, so many of the conferences, especially in my world, church world, church leader world, so many of the conferences are come to this conference where, everywhere we, where we are successful and fruitful and doing it right and it's blowing up and come see us and we'll meet you out and sign, your book, sign my book and you know, come, come see how great it is and what we're doing. At least that's the feel sometimes. And yet the scripture says, he says, you know, people come to me. Why? Because I'm suffering and have suffered. My reputation is being trashed by people who are smearing me with lies. I have been afflicted. It has been difficult for me. Come and learn God's testimonies through suffering, through my suffering. We want to turn to people who've been faithful in suffering and listen and learn and watch and observe. There's something to learn for those who are prosperous as well, but perhaps the most profound lessons are learned from those who are suffering. If you're looking for a mentor, someone to invest in you, disciple you, look for someone who's acquainted with suffering and will be real about it and tell you about it. Well, how do we apply this? So he's going to encourage other people here. How do we apply this? Well, at one level, I want to say the same as every week. We engage God's word. That's a big part of it. We engage God's word. And I've been using the word engage instead of silently read because we can engage God's word by journaling, like writing, actually writing the scripture or writing thoughts on the scripture. Uh, we can do it by listening to God's word read to us. We can read God's word. I don't know if you've tried that this week, but we can read God's word out loud ourselves. Um, we, can, uh, we can memorize God's word. We can meditate on God's word, which is chewing on God's word, thinking about it, words and phrases, all of this way of engaging God's word. So whether you're being afflicted or whether you are having the time of your life go, wow, it was a real downer to come to church today because I was reminded my life is going to stink at some point as well. And uh, well, then you can just pull out your notes or download this sermon at that day. If it's going great for you, wonderful. You still should go learn from someone who's suffering. Uh, but, but maybe you say, hey, you know, uh, I'm not really suffering, but the same thing, engage in God's word, store God's word in your heart. He, he, he prays, Lord, give me good judgment and discernment. We all need that. 
So anyway, engage God's word. And the second thing is for those who are suffering, I would say pray. This whole series we've talked about uh, God's word and studying God's word. But this, psalm, this section of the psalm we're reading today has a lot of prayer in it. So let's look at a few of these verses and we'll be done. Verse 66, teach me good judgment and knowledge for I believe in your commandments. That's a prayer. God, teach me. If you're suffering today, or even if you're not, this is a good thing to pray. God, teach me good judgment. Help me to be discerning. Help me to be wise. Verse 68, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. There, that's another word for the word of God. Teach me your word, Lord. Verse 73, your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. God, you have created me. God, you are shaping me. Help me to understand your word. Acknowledging God as creator and shaper of our lives. Not merely, note that he's not praying here, merely change my circumstances. He's saying you are shaping me and fashioning me, so let me learn something here. It's, it's good to pray for alleviation from our circumstances. We should pray to get a job when we have financial difficulty. We should pray when we are sick and have others pray for us. We should pray when we are in a dark season of depression. We should, so prayer is, is good. We're not praying, I'm not saying that we don't pray for change of our circumstances, but there's something even higher than a change of circumstances, which is a change in our experience of God that deepens and matures through his word. That's an even greater experience than a change of circumstances. That's why he says, it was good for me that I was afflicted. He didn't want to live there forever, but he's saying it was good because this is what happened. So give me understanding, verse 76. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise. So God, comfort me in my affliction. May your love, steadfast love, it's a word that means his covenant love, his faithfulness to us. Would you comfort me? That's pray, Lord, teach me, shape me, help me to understand, comfort me. Verse 77, let your mercy come to me that I may live. God in mercy, help me, sustain me. There are days, there's some folks in the church right now where there are days where it's just putting one foot in front of the other, it takes all that you've got. And then another foot takes all that you've got just to walk through the day. God, have mercy on me today. Please strengthen me. Verse 78, here he does kind of pray for a change of circumstances because he prays there will be shame that will come on those who are harming him. Let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. Let them be exposed for what they're doing. In other words, what they're doing is shameful. It's shameful to lie about someone. They may be lying about his faith or we don't know, but they're lying about him. Lord, allow them to be exposed so that they reap the consequences of their actions. Let them be put to shame. May your heart, and then he prays in verse uh, 80, last verse, he prays, uh, may my heart be blameless in your statutes. May I not be put to shame. So Lord, in the midst of my suffering, may I not turn away from you. May I walk in a blameless manner. May I not act in a shameful way like they are doing, but may I be shaped and formed and drawn to your word so that it is you are everything to me that I might learn you of you and know you. There are no easy answers to suffering. 
There are no pat explanations. There are no coffee cup verses that just solve it all. If you just get that, you are good to go. But there is this truth that God is good and he does good. And the psalmist says, it was good for me to be afflicted for now I know you in a way that I never would before. So we appeal for his love. We appeal for his comfort. We appeal for his spirit to teach us that we may know him and encounter him. And we appeal that our affliction might be a testimony to others of the Lord Jesus Christ who suffered on our behalf, died for our sins, rose to defeat the power of sin and did so, so that none of our sufferings would be wasted but would all be a part of being conformed to his image. And one day he will return and there will be no more suffering, no more crying, no more tears. It's Revelation 21, you can read it. There will be the new heavens and the new earth and all glory. But until that time, may he comfort, strengthen, teach us and allow us to encounter him in glorious power in the midst of all our suffering. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.